imagine yourself living in a neighborhood and a community that is on fire, smoldering. It's been destroyed because an invading army has come and wiped out not just the neighborhood and the community, but your whole nation. Those who survived the battle have mostly been taken captive against their will off to another land. And there's a small remnant, you among them, who are left to pick up the pieces, to try to figure out how to put together a new life. Everything you've known in terms of how life is structured, safety, security, opportunity, it's all gone. And worst of all, family members, friends, colleagues, neighbors, are either in captivity or dead. The neighboring nation to the south may face that same fate. And those people ancestrally are your brothers and sisters, but it seems that that ship has sailed. You don't even dare hope that they would reach out to you even though you trace back together to a man named Abraham. This is the condition of the nation known as Israel during the days of a king named Hezekiah. And the king was not their king. He was the king of this nation to the south named Judah. And that's what we're going to look at today. During this month, we've looked at several different kings. And we're only looking at a few in this brief series, but all of them have something in common. They were known as reformers in the nation of Judah. In your Bible, the the line of history in terms of kings began with Saul and then David and then Solomon. And only during the reign of those three kings was the nation Israel one nation. After Solomon, it was divided into the north and the south, the northern kingdom maintaining the name Israel, the southern kingdom taking on the name Judah, and the southern kingdom being where Jerusalem and the temple are located. Geographically, Israel is larger, but the problem that Israel had throughout their 200 or so years, a little more than 200 years of existence, is They never had one king that was described in the scriptures as a godly king, someone who did right in the eyes of the Lord, followed the law of Moses, led the people on that path. 
Quite to the contrary, most of them led the people away from God. In the southern kingdom, there were some good kings and some bad kings. And, of course, the ones that we're focusing on are those that did indeed lead God, uh, excuse me, did lead the people of God back toward him. We've already looked at Asa, who was particularly known for maintaining the peace and keeping the peace and prosperity of his people going. Last time we looked at Jehoshaphat, a a fantastic leader, um, a man who was faithful, wise, and humble. And when you have power, that's very hard to maintain those three important qualities, and he did so. Today we're looking at Hezekiah, so turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. This is the summary statement about Hezekiah's reign. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abiah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Hezekiah ruled in Judah during the last days, the literal last days of the kingdom of Israel to the north. And this was an important factor throughout his kingdom which underscores that much more the impressive attributes and qualities that he brought to the leadership of his people. Assyria was a, an empire that had grown rapidly over the last several decades. If you're familiar with the story of the prophet Jonah, and what's always focused on is the, the part about the whale or the fish and the fact that he was running in the opposite way when he was on that boat and thrown into the sea and swallowed by the fish. But... The fact that he ran was understandable. God instructs him to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the last place on earth a Jewish person wanted to be, and he was supposed to go there, and not just go there, but stand in the town square, approach the king, and say, you are wrong, you must repent, you must change your ways, or God's going to destroy you. Now, That would take an unimaginable amount of courage to carry out that command. So this was Jonah. This was his challenge. Assyria, go tell them they're wrong. And the Assyrians were just amassing an an empire that was 50 times the size of Israel and Judah together. 
it was only a matter of time until the same empire that conquered Israel would be pounding on the doorstep, the borders of Judah. And Hezekiah was king. And it's his responsibility to address this threat, to be prepared for it. So when Hezekiah first became king, what was one of his first actions? Now, if you were listening a moment ago, it said that he was 25 years old when he became king. Not the youngest king when he took reign, and we'll learn about um, another one that was young, much younger than he you know, next time. Nonetheless, 25 years old is not an age that we often think of in terms of having a lot of wisdom. There are exceptions, but there are certain things that you just usually can't attain to or, or aspire to and attain until you're much older just because you literally haven't lived long enough. And yet, the wisdom in this young man was evident from the start. It tells us later in the 29th chapter of Second Chronicles, at verse 35, <clears throat> that the people... This is the middle of 35th verse, excuse me. So what, what Hezekiah did was he saw how the temple was in disrepair. Now remember, there's, there's this threat of the Assyrian Empire perhaps invading them any day. The people are worried, the people are scared. And so what does he do? Conscript more soldiers, build up weaponry. No, his first focus very quickly was we got to do something about the temple. We got to do something about what takes place in the temple or what, what should be taking place in the temple, the intended purpose of this beautiful structure to, to honor God, to worship God, to sacrifice to God, to teach the people, to celebrate the feasts. This is what we should be doing, and we haven't been doing it. The place is a mess. His own father had brought in false gods into that very temple. So it's time to clean it up. It's time to repair it. Now here's what it says there in that 35th verse. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. It was a matter of weeks, less than a month it took to fix things up and to bring the priests back and to train them properly and to get them consecrated so they could carry out worship. In other words, his priority was to worship God. He acted quickly to repair the temple and to restore worship. And then also King Hezekiah united his people in Passover celebration. In 
chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 30, verse 6, it says, At the king's command, couriers went out throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials. Quote, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he may return to you who are left. Now let me pause there. Remember how I began this message. To picture yourself as a victim of that Assyrian invasion in Israel, the northern kingdom. And you being one who has survived and wasn't taken into captivity, but you're left there with what little is left of your nation. Then comes a courier from Judah. No, why would he come? Why would the kings of this nation send a message to you and to what's left of your people? Is he going to rub it in? Tell you how bad you are? No. It's a whole different kind of message. And it says, moving on to the seventh verse, do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. How did the people of Israel respond to this invitation? It says in the 10th verse, The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun. Those are different regions of Israel. But people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. This young king wanted so much for the people, all of, his, all of the people of God, to gather in worship, to gather to celebrate not just to sacrifice to God, but to celebrate their most cherished, what we would call now a holiday, holy day, the Passover. The commemoration of when the angel of death passed over the homes in Goshen outside of Egypt where the Jews lived as slaves. And each of the homes that had the blood of the lamb as was instructed by Moses upon their doorpost was passed over. 
and the firstborn of that household survived. And not so with all the Egyptians, including the Pharaoh himself. This was the beginning of freedom for their people. And of course, that day is, is celebrated and remembered to this day. There was unity among the people. The fact that not only did Hezekiah extend this invitation, but that his people in Judah welcomed I won't even call them their friends from the north. They probably weren't very friendly toward them. But they were still all part of God's called people. Sons and daughters of Abraham. And they welcomed them. And listen to also how Hezekiah put the heart Ahead of the rules. He put the heart ahead of the rules. Verse 18. So you have all these people that from from Israel who came down to Jerusalem. They humbled themselves. These people didn't like each other. They weren't sure how they'd be accepted. If they'd be accepted. Says the 18th verse. Although most of the people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves. Yet they ate the Passover, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. He put hard ahead of rules. Their nation had not practiced proper worship according to the law of Moses for generations. First of all, how would they even know what to do? And secondly, even if they knew, there was a time factor to carry out the technicalities involved in consecration properly so you were seen as worthy of celebrating Passover. And Hezekiah realized, no, this isn't what matters. The the heart of God is after the heart of man. And when the heart is after seeking him, when when man's hearts are truly seeking God, God's not going to get in the way of the rules. Or excuse me, the rules aren't going to get in the way of God. Again and again in the scriptures, we see examples of how God sets the rules and then breaks his own rules to get to us. Again and again, we see this in the Bible. So let's not get so wrapped up in our own sets of rules and requirements and let that go in order to make a a clear path 
for those that are truly seeking God. And to see that in His Son, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, all is forgiven. Literally, genuinely, completely forgiven. It's we who construct the barriers. It's we who who go back to the rules and, and, and put other requirements in front of the gospel. What, what is the requirement of the gospel, by the way? The good news of Jesus Christ. Simply that we turn. That's what repent means. We recognize our own failure, our own faults, our own brokenness and incompleteness, our own sin, and say, yes, this is mine. And then we turn to Jesus and we see that he says, yeah, I know, and I've forgiven you, so let's go. Let's move. Let's move forward. And that was Hezekiah's attitude as king and as leader. And what a great celebration they had. It says in, in chapter 30 of Second Chronicles, at verse 25, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the foreigners who had come from Israel, and also who, those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. It had been 260 years since Solomon. 260 years of history in Judah and the, the worship of God in the temple, which sometimes was forgotten and sometimes it was defiled with other religions coming in. But even when they got it right, this celebration this united celebration of Israel and Judah, all Israel in the truest sense of that, was now together, or at least the remnant of those from the north were there, and they were welcomed, and there wasn't anything like this that had happened. And this is because of the leadership of Hezekiah. He helped make this happen, and the people cooperated with it. Which says something about them, too. They all knew of the threat at their doorstep of, their, of the borders from Assyria. They all knew what could happen. And yet they followed the lead of their king and got first things first. You see, because when our security is on the line, what do we turn to? When we're afraid... What do we turn to? Who do we turn to? And Hezekiah led them to say, yes, this is frightening. Yes, this is a threat. Yes, this nation could destroy us. But let's get back to 
the heart of worship and restore things and let's, let's invite everyone, including our estranged friends from the north and bring them in and welcome them and together cry out to the Lord and to remember what he's done for us to set us free and that that freedom will be carried forward in our day. And that's what they did. King Hezekiah honored God, so God blessed him and his people. It says in chapter 31 at verse 20, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly And so he prospered, and so did his people. But the threat remained from Assyria, and a man named Sennacherib, the king of this vast empire. And the king made threats against Judah and against Hezekiah, And in the process, basically mocked God. And so he sent a a letter to Hezekiah that underscored all of these threats. And in the 32nd chapter, he gave his people courage. It says in the 7th verse of chapter 32, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and this vast army with him. For there is greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Encouragement. Confidence. Leadership needs that voice to come forth to help those that we would lead, those that would be led. Challenges and battles lie before us in various forms, in this case very literally, where everything was on the line. And just like the words that, that God gave to Joshua, and perhaps this is what Hezekiah was thinking of when he said, be strong and courageous. Those words were also given now from Hezekiah to his own people. Don't be discouraged. And the people indeed had confidence. 
And it says there down in the 16th, 17th verse of 32, the king, that is Sennacherib, also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against them. Just as the gods of the people of other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. So what does Hezekiah do? How does he respond? Not just to this insult of his God, but to the threat that's connected with the insult. Now, instead of Cherub's mind, he's marched throughout the world and wiped out every little nation and kingdom that was in his way. And they prayed to their gods, and it didn't stop him. So this nation, with their one little god, and the way he would see it, was going to be no different. So, of course, Hezekiah turned to prayer, but notice, too, that this man has already demonstrated a priority of prayer and of worship in his life through restoring the temple, through inviting Israel to join them in celebrating the Passover. Prayer was part of his life already. Too often, people wait for trouble before they pray. They wait for difficulty. They think that God's just going to be there for them when, they, you know, when he's needed, even though they've ignored him throughout other aspects of their life and other moments of their life. But now, when everything's on the line, oh, I better go pray. Well, here is Hezekiah, who had already shown to God and to God's people that prayer and worship were priorities, were of the utmost importance of all his priorities in his personal life and as king of his people. And he didn't just pray by himself. He brought in a prophet. The prophet's name is Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet lived during the time of Hezekiah. And many of his prophecies were directly connected to the days in which Assyria was threatening them. And so he brings in Isaiah and they pray together. It says this in verse 20 of chapter 32. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. That is about this threat that the Senate chair put in writing. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his own sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. I don't know exactly how this happened, how God destroyed them, but the, the battle was won by God. Hezekiah had an army, and they were ready to fight if need be, and they trusted God to help them in that battle, but the battle was the Lord's. 
And the Lord took the battle and wiped out the people, wiped out his, this threat to Judah. He honored this prayer. He honored the prayer of Hezekiah and of Isaiah. So we see great leadership in King Hezekiah in these chapters of Second Chronicles. And I hope in, in your life where leadership is needed, where you have responsibility as a leader in some form or another, and don't discount the importance or significance of your leadership in your home, in perhaps your job, in church, in community, wherever leadership is, is needed, then bring some of the same attitudes and attributes that we see in a man like King Hezekiah. He made changes fast. He saw what was needed and got to work. He invited people who were lost to join him, people that had been disenfranchised. And I failed to mention a moment ago, but it's very much worth repeating, that the animosity and the division between Israel and Judah in the Old Testament, although was briefly healed here under Hezekiah, lingered and grew even deeper. And by the time we get to Jesus in the New Testament world, the animosity between Judah and Israel has now morphed into what was known as Jew versus Samaritan. Their roots were the same. And Jesus addressed that repeatedly, even with his own disciples, of how this has to stop. So Hezekiah invited lost people. So who can we reach out to who is lost, have been separated? Use your heart over the rules. Rules matter, structure matters. But when it comes to the ways of God, the heart of God is love, acceptance, and forgiveness provided by him through Jesus. How dare we add a list of rules or criteria before we experience and offer others that same hope. Unity in worship, to welcome all, to come before God, to honor him, to praise him for all that he's done. Encourage others. It's so necessary. It's so vital that people are encouraged and gain confidence. And then to pray. Pray again and again with and for others. May God carry forward whatever message you've heard in these moments that they would plant a seed in your heart to bring change into the way that you lead and who you choose to follow. 
Amen.